Welcome to the Tech in Shanghai podcast, the Pearl of the Orient. Shanghai is the city of the future. All systems go full steam ahead. It never stops. Technology, innovation, ambition. It's everywhere. Join us as we explore this new world and talk to the people making it happen. The Tech in Shanghai podcast. The future is now. So everyone, welcome to the first episode of the Tech in Shanghai podcast.、Uh, this podcast is dedicated to the people of the Shanghai startup scene.、Uh, the purpose is to give a little bit of insight into what's going on here on the ground in China by speaking with、uh, the people that are directly involved in it.、Uh, now, before we get going, I'd be remiss if I didn't、uh, throw a shout out to Brian Rose at Silicon Real.、Um, it is through that podcast that I kind of got the inspiration to do this one. Um, his podcast is about what's going on in the London startup scene. Very interesting guests,、um, lots of really interesting things happening there.、Um, and after listening to that, I thought, well, there's probably a bit of interest in what's going on here in Shanghai. It's a fairly fragmented scene, as I'm sure we'll get into,、um, but interesting nonetheless. So that's why we got this going. So thank you, Brian, and shout out to all the guys at Silicon Real. So today our guest is Alex Duncan. He is the head of product development at Kwo.、Um, now I could introduce you to Kwo, but I think I'll pass it over to Alex、uh, so I don't butcher it. So Alex, thanks for coming on the show,、um, and why don't you give us a brief introduction to Kwo, what you do, who you do it for, and、uh, what kind of the status is of of the company? John, it's、uh, great to be here. So Kwo. Um, well, we're a small company spun out of the Mailman Group, the very successful social media agency based here in Shanghai, and it's our mission to build technology that empowers Western brands to be better at social media in China. So, the first part of this、um, journey has been to build a、um, publishing platform, which supports、um, all of the brands at the Mailman Group, but will very soon scale out to support other brands, other agencies. We already have some、um, beta clients on the platform, and feedback's been good. We're powering、um, about thirty-five brands right now on、uh, Sina Weibo and Tencent Weibo, and、uh, we give them rock-solid publishing, scheduling, and we do deep analytics into their fans, where they're coming from, and eventually we hope to provide much more sophisticated insights into.、Uh, How best to speak to their Chinese audience?、Right. It's definitely a challenge for foreign brands on、sure. social media here.、Um, now, for people that may not be familiar with、uh, why a service like Kwo is necessary,、um, not everyone's heard of the, the Great Chinese Firewall, but a lot of people are familiar with it.、Uh, basically, it's、um, you know it, it's a limiting of of what internet users in China can access vis-a-vis foreign websites, particularly social media.、Um, Can you discuss that a bit, and then kind of、uh, relate that to the necessity for a service like Kwo? So yes, you're right. I mean,、uh, it's almost thanks to the China, Chinese firewall that we even have a business at all, because Facebook isn't accessible to the general populace, and、uh, Sina Weibo and、uh, increasingly WeChat are the dominant platforms for social in China. So it's not just about the inaccessibility of these platforms; it's also about the cultural differences too. For example, one of the points we hit with a lot of brands coming onto our platform is the use of、um, emoji or the little yellow smiley faces. Many brands are not comfortable using those in the West, and I think it would be fair to say that、uh, they are generally the preserve of teenage girls. 
But over here, actually, um, it doesn't carry the same sort of cachet. And so we do encourage brands to use these. And even analytics that we have on posts show they can increase the engagement by adding these small characters to posts. So it's that kind of insight that we also aim to bring to clients, as well as protecting them, making sure they do or don't say the right thing, um, phrasing things in a certain way. I think we've seen classic examples very recently with Justin Bieber posting that uh, photo of himself at the temple in Japan, mm-hmm. honoring the uh, people that died there and that was um, very badly received in China and caused a big furore. And I think um, it's the aim of KWO um, to protect foreign brands from making such uh, errors Right. on their uh, communication. And you mentioned something that's that's actually quite unique to China in that the social media engagement, as far as I can tell, is really uh, amazing here in China. It, it's, it seems like it's a, a much larger part of people's online and social lives than perhaps in the West, where it is you know, it's ver- becoming a very big part of life itself in the West. But uh, can you speak to kind of, like you mentioned about Justin Bieber, the sensitivities that exist uh, in the social media market here, and also regarding the service that Cable provides, um, you know, is there any uh, you know suspicion on beha- behalf of the government that it's a workaround, or is it simply taking legitimate content from legitimate content providers uh, in foreign companies and delivering it to the Chinese market in a, an acceptable way? So to address the um, sort of second part of your question first, yeah, I, I think we're very much seen as a positive influence. We have a positive relationship with Sina, mm-hmm. and they are definitely supportive of us bringing these um, providers of rich content onto their platform. And we currently power brands like uh, Liverpool Football Club, who have incredibly popular content, especially on game day. You see huge spikes in engagement on their channels thousands of people liking, commenting, and resharing the posts um, as their team is uh, um, achieving success on the other side of the planet. And so um, I think it very much is a positive influence. And what we aim to do is help these brands to be culturally sensitive and to avoid um, saying things which may get them into trouble. So there is a, there's a layer of protection built into our platform, and that is partly um, automated with sort of keyword filtering and extra checks and then also a layer of human protection, mm-hmm. people really looking at what's being posted right. and making a judgment call on whether or not it's okay. Mm-hmm. And regarding the sensitivity of the, the social media market here in general, is it more reactionary, inflammatory than perhaps in the West just given the climate or is that, you know, that kind of off base? I think, I think it is, yeah. One of the sad things I think we've seen over the past few years is... Um, Uh, with some control on these platforms. We've seen people um, perhaps engaging a bit less than they did in previous years, which is um, not such an issue over in the West where there's less uh, issues with sort of freedom of speech there. Mm -hmm. But I would say um, for the general everyday user, yeah, it's a great way to um, engage. And the sensitivity, um, obviously things go viral on Weibo just as quickly as they do on Twitter. And there's actually a lot of crossover between these platforms these days as increasingly people are um, sharing things in multiple languages. Right. Now, obviously this show is going to have a massive following. So some of our, our listeners are going to be organizations, foreign companies that are really eager to learn more about China and to enter the market in some way, if not with products directly like what you're doing with their social media campaigns in general and their content. Um, Now, what KWO does, to my mind, it it provides a huge benefit to 
uh, these companies because it basically allows them to enter the Chinese market in, for, in, the, in terms of their social media content without devising uh, and, and having to set up an entirely new social media plan and platform in order to do so. Their content crosses over. You guys make sure that it's applicable to the audience. It, it says the right thing. It communicates the right message without changing it too much. Is that an uh, accurate depiction? And, and if so, if so uh, can you speak a little more about you know the, the, the true benefits that this service provides to foreign companies that are trying to gain a foothold in China? Yeah, so that's absolutely the case. I mean, one of the key things we have that none of the competitors do at this stage is we allow brands to almost syndicate their Facebook content directly into China. So we pull their feed in English um, directly into our system, and then um, our team um, will go through and translate these posts and localize them, perhaps change the context a little bit, provide extra detail if necessary, and then push that out onto social media. Now, the benefit to a brand in this case is they don't have to have a completely separate content plan. You know, we're just using their existing English language content plan being pushed out in other markets and syndicating it into China. Um, it also gives them transparency as well, because at any time of day or night, they can log into our platform and they can see exactly what's going on. And I think there's very few agencies in this market at this stage that provide that level of transparency. They can see exactly the comments that are being made. They can see machine translations of those comments to get a feel for what their um, followers in China are actually saying and how they're engaging with the brand. And uh, so I think in terms of one of the key sales for foreign companies is that transparency. Right. You're not just trusting some uh, team in Shanghai. You are actually um, seeing what they're doing on a day-to-day, you know, almost minute-by-minute basis and um, able to have the confidence that they're uh, working on your behalf. Right, right. Now, that makes me think of two things. The first is how big of a team of translators do you have to have in order to you know, translate all that content. And because, you know, as it says on your website, you're not only using logarithmic translations, you're using real people to really communicate, you know, a, a coherent and a, and a clear message that's applicable to the Chinese social media market. So do you have a, a big team or how does that, that whole process work? We don't actually use any um, machine translation at all for the content. The only time we use machine translation is when we're translating comments for, our, um, for the customers to see. Um, so it's all human translation. We have a team of about um, six or eight people at the moment working across the uh, brands on the platform currently. And um, if you think about the workload, I mean, every brand has a matter, a handful of posts every day that need translating. It's possible for a few translators to handle quite a a number of brands. Mm -hmm. The only um, advantage um, of having a slightly bigger team is you can have um, more people focused on specific industries, so on different types of brand and then the specific language that goes with that as well when it comes to football, if it comes to um, fashion and uh, being able to translate those words and get to know the feel and the brand voice is definitely an advantage. Right. And the second part of that is, is it the domain of KWO, is it one of the fundamental services to provide analytics in terms of how these uh, social media messages and content are in, are what kind of impact they're having on the market and a measurable impact to the clients that you're working with in the West? So I think one of the exciting things about KWO is we've not been going that long. Um, it's less than a year oh, wow. since we uh, launched our product and started getting people using it. And so we really still don't quite know what the thing is going to be. We know there's an opportunity here. For foreign brands, they have to be on social media here if they're going to engage. And so... 
the first part of that was publishing, was getting them onto the platform. Now we've got this um, fantastic opportunity where we can really look at what to do next. Is it the deep analytics, um, which is certainly a huge challenge, um, but I think uh, we're currently um, at a point where we're consolidating the the publishing side of our platform and also exploring um, what the next things are going to be. It could be analytics. It could be transparency. We could go deeper into uh, finding out your key influencers and helping you engage with them. There's so many different things we could do. We could try and add other platforms, um, get WeChat onto our system. Um so, yes, it's, uh, that's one of the exciting things about working in a startup mm-hmm. is really reacting to your customers. Right. Bigger companies have to plan things over larger timescales and make more, um, you know, more well-thought-out decisions on investment, whereas we have a small tech team and we can be quite reactive. Mm-hmm. If there's a feature that we really think that people are going to benefit from, then in a matter of weeks we can get it wireframed, developed, and get it out there and being tested with a few clients and see what the feedback is. Right. Is it something people will pay for? Is that going to help us build a viable business here cool so relatively you know quite young and ready to kind of go in whichever direction your clients and your customers are kind of pulling you where you see the most value for them i always think for a small company like this the most important thing is to have a clear vision as to what the problem is you're trying to solve right i think the actual way you go about solving it is less important as long as you and your team are always on the same page Mm -hmm. and i go back to sort of my uh, initial point which was We are trying to help foreign brands be better at social media in China. Mm -hmm. Whatever way we can do that, if it's better publishing, better scheduling, pulling in content from other places, better analytics, Mm -hmm. fans, whatever that is, we're going to try and find that and then uh, productize it and uh, get it in people's hands to try. Now, can you discuss a little bit about the sales process at KWAL? I mean, we both know and everybody knows that China is receiving a lot of uh, attention lately. There's a lot of interest in China. Of course, everyone knows how big the market is and how much opportunity there is here. I'm wondering, regarding uh, clients in foreign countries outside of China, are they beating down your door to use your services? Is it still a relatively hard sell? I know you've gotten some big clients. Um, Maybe you can discuss some of them. But kind of what's, what's give us some insight on the sales process for you guys. I think actually that is one area where we've been learning a lot. We've tried quite a few different things. There's many different types and sizes of customer that could potentially use our product. But I think there's only um, certain customers that will really see great benefit. And that's certainly something we've learned over the past few months. We've had some people who've tried the platform and perhaps... Um, They've not had as much on-the-ground activity here in China. And so the social media is very much a supporting element to that. It's not a solution in its own right. Mm -hmm. So we're at a stage now where we've found customers who we can really um, service well and provide great value to. And so we're very much um, redirecting the product um, around those customers. I think it's, it's a challenge for any small tech business. You often have a huge list of features you could build, but actually the most important thing is to find the ones that people will pay for right, right. and focus on those and make them rock solid. Mm-hmm. Not just, you know, 50% right, 80% right. They've got to be 99.9% um, you know, solid. And that's definitely where we find ourselves right now. So I think it's fair to say we're um, going after larger clients, um, people who already have some level of brand recognition here in China, mm-hmm. because that makes it easier to grow a, um, a solid fan growth, um, a fan base, and um, engage with fan um, followers, rather than helping brands who have no um, presence in the market yet. 
that is unless they um, are doing other marketing activity. Right. If you're making, if you're a brand and you're making a big push into China, our platform definitely can help support you in your fan growth. But as um, a service on its own, you're not going to see the benefit as if you are doing other things, physical retail, events, um, or um, other situations like that. I think um, the International Beach Volleyball Federation are a great example of this. We power their account, and they've seen great fan growth over the last sort of few months. They grew um, to a couple of hundred thousand fans across their networks. And when they come and do events here in China, like they did in Guangdong and they did in um, Shanghai just a couple of weeks ago, they see great engagement on their social channels, and we're able to help them make the most of that right. around these uh, other events. Cool. Now, do, does KWOL work with uh, any clients that are currently on the ground in China that have a presence here and you are kind of bolstering their presence? Or is it mostly clients outside of China that you're helping to enter the market through social media, get a feel for it, and then perhaps enter at a later date? Um, so it's the majority of our clients are people who are um, on the ground and doing other things. I mean, for example, Liverpool, they have other um, meet Liverpool Football Club. They have other media partnerships. They obviously have a huge following in terms of people watching their games, right. buying their shirts. Um, sponsorship in the uh, English Premier League is uh, increasingly interesting to Chinese companies. And so having this strong um, name over here and obviously Liverpool just came second in the Premier League. Uh, only yesterday so um this is for for businesses like that we we provide um this extra level of exposure here and also insight into what's going on right now before we change it up a little bit i just want to ask one final question about kwo and that is in this uh you know in this industry is there any other competitors or are there any competitors that you compete with directly or even indirectly that uh, provide a similar service or at least a similar outcome to KWOL? Yes, I mean, there are dozens of social media tools, the same way there are for Twitter or Facebook. Um, there are lots of platforms that allow you to publish, that um, give you a snapshot of what your fans are up to. But um, I don't think any of those are targeted towards the types of customers we're dealing with. Many of them are targeted towards um, small, uh, local um, agencies. A couple are targeted towards bigger foreign agencies. Um, but then we're, our, our, we definitely have a niche here in terms of pulling from Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and the transparency we provide. There's no other platform that we know of right now that allows a client on the other side of the world to log in any time of day or night and really sort of accurately see what's going on. Right. No, uh, no wool being pulled over the eyes or anything like that. Right. I mean, it's so seamless. When I first uh, read about the, the concept, I was really intrigued because it is such a... I mean, if you're living here in China, you know that to access your, you know, your foreign social media, you need to, you know, proxy server, VPN, something like that. And of course, it's a huge barrier for large organizations, and it just seems like such an easy solution. Of course, you can set up your own accounts and manage them that way, but in terms of efficiency, just being able to use the content that you've already put out on your, your Western social media and have it be represented in the right way in China, it's, uh, it's an interesting business for sure. Yes, it is. I think one of the, um, the, the, the more difficult challenges for us as a company compared to perhaps a tool like Hootsuite um, or Sprout Social that you may be familiar with in the West is that um, KWA requires um, you're, you're publishing to your networks in a language that you don't speak. Um, and so there's a lot more um, there's, there's a lot more effort involved in sort of getting up and running 
on these uh, platforms. It's not just a case of clicking a connect button to connect your Facebook and Twitter like you do with Hootsuite. So that's one of the biggest challenges we've had as a company so far is how do we onboard these customers? We had um, the first few customers, it was taking several months to just get them on board, which takes a huge amount of effort and makes it very hard to predict your revenue and the growth of the company. But we are getting better at this. And I think as our product starts to become um, more solid and uh, um, more feature rich, I think it'll become an easier sell to companies as they see the advantages. Just out of curiosity, are there there any companies that you can't work with just because their content might be too provocative or, you know, is of the wrong kind? Have you come across that? Yeah. I mean, beyond the obvious, you know, pornographic adult content sort of stuff. I mean, are there any legitimate organizations in the West that you just can't really touch? Here? Beyond the obvious, we have to be very careful about gambling right. um, and betting, which is obviously not allowed on uh, Sina Weibo. We have to be a little bit careful with um, some uh, other brands, perhaps related to um, uh, alcohol, but we've not had any problems so far. The same sort of issues actually you probably have on Facebook. Right. I mean, a lot of these pages can be age-restricted. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, um, now, this is the Tech in Shanghai podcast, so I want to switch it up a bit right now uh, from going from you know a bit about uh, KWO as a company, what you guys do, to what the experience of launching and working in a startup here in Shanghai is, encompassing both the work and the life that comes with it. So... Um, Feel you know. I'll let you kind of dictate where you get going on that because it's a pretty broad question. But can you just give the listeners an idea of, you know, Shanghai is a crazy place. We were discussing it before we went live. Um, there's lots going on here. There's you know, there's construction everywhere. Everyone knows the China story. And Shanghai, in Shanghai, it's particularly, uh, you know, it's the epicenter of all that action. And it's you know, it's becoming very international. Not so much multicultural, but cosmopolitan in, in kind of the luxury life that's available to many people here. But right juxtaposed to that, you know, still, you know, very low income, um, you know, lives that, that are right next to it. So it's a very interesting city. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about the startup and tech scene here? Uh, from, from my mind, it seems a little more fragmented than perhaps a Silicon Valley, a London, a Tel Aviv, a Berlin. I mean, it seems spread out. I mean, just organizing, uh, you know, a podcast like this, I'm, I'm reaching out to people that are very disparate in kind of their location. There doesn't seem to be a, an overly strong community, but that could be, you know, completely a misperception on my behalf. So tell us a bit about uh, startups in Shanghai. I mean, I've been here um, doing startup things in Shanghai for the best part of seven years now. So I've seen it change a lot. And although, yes, you're right, it is still quite disparate and uh, things do sort of seem to come and go quite quickly, um, it's definitely got a lot stronger. Um, When I was first here, there was only a few different networking events, more for foreigners in the startup community, and there would just be a handful of people there. But now you have events like uh, the TechEZU uh, bar camp days, which have hundreds of people attending them. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just a JavaScript meetup last night. Um, there's another event that I'm speaking at in a couple of weeks. There's a lot of things going on now. Um, anybody who's looking to attend these things, just go and check out meetup.com yeah. or uh, get on Facebook, and I'm sure you'll find lots of these events. They occasionally appear on sites like Hacker News as well. I've I've been to some of these meetups and and they're great. I mean, it's great to see that these things are being organized and that people are coming together. But I have to imagine that the scale is much smaller than what you might find in some of the, the jurisdictions that I mentioned before. 
because you go there and it's a relatively loose, uh, you know, association of people. So, a lot of networking as is kind so, of the, the yeah, bane of I mean, China. You the know? thing is, you're hanging out in the foreigner community, right? And you're going to English speaking events. If you try and sort of dig a little deeper and go to more of the local events, um, then I think you'll find that it is on a bit of a different really? scale. So I had the uh, fortune to go to Alibaba's developer conference in Hangzhou. Um, I think it was either early this year or late last year. Mm -hmm. And that was on a different scale. They took over an entire construction site um, outside of uh, Hangzhou. It was incredibly hard to find. Our cab driver got lost multiple times and almost dropped us in the middle of nowhere. And we ended up at this event and it was entirely in Chinese and it was on an an awesome scale. They'd taken over these buildings which had not yet finished construction and put up lots of temporary exhibitions. There was an entire building dedicated to mobile gaming, another one dedicated to sort of um, cloud and enterprise and SaaS, another one, I'm not sure, but uh, there were huge presentations taking place all Mm -hmm. the time, hundreds if not thousands of people watching them. Um, There was a big startup competition funded by Alibaba with prizes. So Though definitely it is taking place. Right. Um, now, you, you mentioned something really interesting, actually, in, in that, you know, I, I'm attending, even though they're attended by, uh, you know, a lot of local Chinese, I am attending events organized primarily by foreigners. And that's a really, uh, you know, it's a really good observation. And in light of Alibaba IPO now, it's really, sh- you know, bringing a lot of press to the Chinese startup community and market. Um, can you Can you speak a little bit to... The difference between foreign, um, foreign-funded, foreign-organized startups in in Shanghai and China versus their Chinese counterparts. I mean, any any similarities, any differences? I actually um, am much more of a fan. I have quite a few friends who are um, local entrepreneurs. Um, um, most of them came from um, lower-tier cities. <clears throat> Perhaps that makes them a bit more hungry to succeed. And um, a couple in particular that I'm thinking of have done incredibly well. And they've not built, you know, investor-funded businesses. One guy who just put money onto credit cards, he worked a full-time job and built this business at the same time. And now he's doing millions in revenue and incredibly successful, all by bootstrapping and being very hungry and, uh, and you know, not, uh, not wasteful in the way that I think uh, a lot of investor-funded companies can be. Right. And I would say a lot of more more of the foreign companies here that I know that have raised money are, are more similar to what we're used to probably reading about in the Western media on mm-hmm. TechCrunch or Pando Daily or whatever it is. They go through the the normal process, getting seed rounds and then and then funding rounds. Yes, yeah, so I mean it is a lot harder to raise funding here. Right, that, as, a, as a foreign <clears throat> company or any startup. Um, as a, I think in general, there just right. isn't the money sloshing around that you have uh, in the U.S. particularly. And I don't see that as an especially bad thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, seed rounds here are a lot smaller. Um, there are some entrepreneurs like uh, Steve Bell of Trilogy is completely focused on um, foreign, uh, on sorry, on lo- it's a foreign fund completely focused on local companies doing very small seed rounds. Um, there's China Accelerator, who've built a, a pretty successful incubator. Mm-hmm. I actually went through China Accelerator up in Dalian a few years ago. Um, and that was a great experience. Um, there's Hackcelerator, also from SOS Ventures down in Shenzhen, investing in uh, foreign companies doing hardware in China. So there's, there are some of those um, companies, but there's something wonderful about 
um, some of the Chinese entrepreneurs I meet. I mean, I have a very good friend. I hope he won't mind me. He's possibly not going to listen to your podcast, so I'm going to tell his story anyway. <laughs> How dare you? Um, great guy, real inspiration, really sort of hungry and somebody who I would say is driven with a mission in life. And um, he, while he was at university in a, a city not too far from Shanghai, he started a restaurant with a couple of friends. And his restaurant, I forget what type it started out as, but uh, it wasn't doing very well. And eventually they got to, they said, right, we have one more month, otherwise we just can't afford to fund this any further. And they decided to change the concept to hot pot. So they went from employing all these chefs, which they fired, to letting everybody cook their own food. And so they just need the waiters to put the hot pot on the table and provide the raw meat and vegetables. And something about it just took off and was incredibly successful. And then several other people tried to start hot pot restaurants on the street and um, often came up to him and said, oh, we're going to take you down. We're going to, you know, you'll be out of business before you knew it. And he said to this day, his is still the most successful, profitable hot pot restaurant on that street. And there's something wonderful about how scrappy um, that, that his tale was. And he then used the money he made from that business to go on and do other very exciting things in the education space. Wow. But again, um, all sort of funded by the money he was able to make from the business. It was never, he didn't raise any capital right. very much finding. And in order to do that, you really have to find something people are willing to pay for. Um, you know, we saw app.net. I don't know if you know that story, just uh, basically in its heading for the Deadpool and that's a great example of where it wasn't really solving a problem that people had. Mm -hmm. And it raised, you know, two and a half million dollars, which isn't a massive amount in Valley terms. But uh, so and, perhaps, it, and so it went the way the way that it deserved to go. <laughs> so perhaps more in, chi in China at the moment, I think what you're saying is that, you know, people are forced to build more viable businesses from the get go rather than relying on funding uh, certainly local on. entrepreneurs are yeah right. yeah okay and you've been here for seven years is that changing i mean in terms of you've got a lot of you know a lot of hype around chinese social media and technology now with alibaba and wechat and Sina and weibo and all these things more activity coming from the foreign market as well as more uh valley and other um vc firms setting up shop here is there can you it's, notice I mean, a, a difference? it's obviously different on the top end i think it's difficult to compare companies like um WeChat and um, Weibo to uh, real startups mm. because they're so vastly funded by these massive parent companies. I right, mean, right. WeChat was founded by Tencent, probably with dozens, if not hundreds of um, engineers um, and a, a really deep pockets from which to draw from. And WeChat doesn't appear to be under any massive pressure to monetize, but they are doing it reasonably successfully. So there's a difference between that and probably a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast who I'd imagine are more um, lower-scale entrepreneurs. Right. And I think definitely at that scale, it's more difficult to raise um, money. There's more there's uh, trepidation from overseas investors. They have less options to go to. There are investors here and there are funds available, mm. um, but probably the rounds are smaller and there's less opportunities. Right. But by and large, I mean, you know, coming from an investment background, historically, China's been a bit of a hands-off place because it's difficult to trust the infrastructure in terms of, you know, the legality of things and your partners and all that kind of stuff. You've been here for seven years. I feel like that is changing kind of maybe slowly, but is it becoming a more trustworthy environment that people can 
confidently or more confidently invest in, whether it be their time and future, as you, you yourself are doing, or a VC firm investing capital with Chinese-based companies? Is that, is that I think absolutely. I mean, quite a few companies probably had their fingers a little bit burned from the uh, boom in the group buying businesses a few years ago. Mm. I don't know if you were around here at that time, but uh, yeah, millions and millions um, some big names like Groupon rushed into the Chinese market with uh, abandon. And uh, as we saw, very few of them did very well. And uh, I think this was possibly a more vicious market than anywhere in the world. Right. I saw some crazy things happening. People buying 100 kwai phone cards and selling them for 90 kwai and losing 10 kwai on every transaction just in order to acquire customers mm. in that sort of gold rush to be the... Uh, the king of group buying. And a lot of foreign companies pull, poured hundreds of millions of dollars into uh, that um, that boom. And I, I would hate to see something like that come back again. I'd l I like the fact that uh, investment over here is more um, conservative, but you're right, it, it could be, it could get better. Well, it's, it's interesting, you know, this this so much opportunity here. It's difficult to resist a draw, I'm sure, from some of the big organizations. And to bring everything full circle, KWO kind of allows organizations to dip their toes in the water and get a feel for how they'll, 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 uh, they'll be uh, interpreted and received in China. So uh, it's, uh, it's very interesting. Now, if we can get back for a second to Shanghai specifically. I mean, I've spoken with a number of uh, founders, CEOs, people that work at, at foreign um, organized startups here. Why Shanghai? I mean, oftentimes the teams are, are mostly foreign. Uh, I'm sure there's barriers to, you know, setting up in Shanghai. Can you speak a bit about why Shanghai and kind of what are some of the, the trials, tribulations and obstacles to, to doing so here? I think for me, Shanghai is just a lot more livable. I don't know how much time you spent in other cities, but, you know, I've, I've spent time in Hangzhou, Beijing, Dalian, and Shanghai is just the, the easiest for sure, life for I've sure. found in China. You know, my commute to work by bike is about 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. I have a whole plethora of Western restaurants and many flavors of Asian cuisine just minutes away right. and all at very reasonable prices. Well, let, me, let me rephrase that a little bit. No, no doubt Shanghai is where it's at in China. I agree totally. What about uh, China in general? You know, if, if a lot of startups are, the foreign-based startups that are here in China are, are not always... In, perhaps not even most of the time, orienting their startup towards the Chinese market. Why do you think they are, are setting up here and, and, and having a go of it here rather than somewhere else that has a, you know, a more supportive infrastructure, a better climate, things like that? I think uh, a lot of people sort of in previous years have been attracted by the lower cost base. You know, rent, uh, which, which is, is changing, or which is evaporating. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely uh, going in the wrong direction. Right. Um, but then again, still, you know, starting salaries for somebody fresh out of college here are a lot lower than um, back home where I'm from in the UK or over in North America. Um, I think uh, the energy here um, is is quite a good reason to be here. Mm -hmm. I certainly. Um, I'm not in any rush to head back and work in England. I feel like things sort of change at a much slower pace. Right. I like the the rate of change here and there's the optimism. A, and there's the, a hopeless or there's a hopefulness and ambition that kind of buzz. I mean, just to interrupt you for a second, but I, I talk about this with people when I go back home, and they they ask me about China, of course, and you know it's hard to pinpoint why Shanghai specifically is such a great place to be because it does have its faults. Um, 
but it's one of those things where you there's there's so much ambition there's so much activity that it doesn't really matter if your field is broadcasting or startups or art or fitness or business or real estate there's a lot of capital a lot of energy and a lot of momentum behind everything so things are happening that's true actually i think you know we've we've focused mainly on tech but there are a lot of foreign entrepreneurs here um building many other types of Mm -hmm. business in the city people building gyms yoga studios restaurants Mm -hmm. um healthcare centers dentist practices you know many other foreign entrepreneurs here um and bringing expertise from um back home to shanghai which definitely makes the city um richer and um a better um, a more attractive place for you know, people like you and you and I. Absolutely. Now, one thing I wanted to address, I hope it's not too sensitive. Um, most people who live and have worked in China are aware of a term called guanxi. Uh, basically, it, it means relationship. You know, it's a uh, part of doing business everywhere in the world, um, but it's particularly prominent here in China. Um, and it's, you know, it's a very big part of business, not only for foreigners doing business in China, but perhaps even more so for locals doing business with other locals. But the startup and tech scene has always operated on kind of different parameters than perhaps other industries. I'm just wondering, is is Guanxi and that concept something that you guys have to address and embrace, or can you operate kind of independent from it? Actually, I think um, Kevin Rudd, the uh, former Prime Minister of Australia, um, published a an article the other day with his five common misconceptions of China, and I think he was right with one of them, that um, Guanxi is not necessarily any um, more of an issue here than it is anywhere else. I mean, Mm. if you think back home, you know, having good relationships with your bank manager, the tax man, whoever it is, um, will make your life doing business easier. And that's definitely the way it works here. Mm. And I think probably you're right in suggesting that tech is... Um, more reliant on Guanxi um, than perhaps it is in the North America. But then I have great examples of when we were in deep trouble with a previous startup um, that was more sort of US-based. And Guanxi there in the valley definitely uh, saved our ass a couple of times. So um, it just operates differently in China. And that's the thing that... um, I think people um, have a misconception about it. It maybe it has an appearance of being more shady. It you know involves dinners and karaoke and cigarettes and baijiu and things like that, which um, don't quite seem as clean as having a coffee with somebody. Or you but know, can nonetheless be fun sometimes. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> I don't discount any of them. So um, I yeah, I disagree with you. On that one, I think uh, Guanxi, certainly I've got great examples when it's been just as much of an issue over in the US when we were kicked off a payment platform and we had to find somebody high up through a contact in another organization and beg our way back on. Um, We were, you know, all sorts of... Sure, sure. I mean, I'm I'm not particularly saying it's a bad thing. I just want to get your take on how your business and your you know your career had to interact with that that concept i mean everybody knows it's very it's about, important it's about who you know anywhere in the world you go you know perhaps here maybe the stakes are just higher or the the the, the modus operandi of how you go about doing it is a little bit different as you said ktvs and cigarettes and well kind of i mean stuff. it's very important i'll give you a great example kwo specifically so a while ago we uh, were doing lots of talking to cena's api and we suddenly uh, hit some limit and our entire platform was uh, blocked access from talking to Cena, which for a company that depends on being able to publish to Cena is a nightmare. 
And so um, it took us a while to work out exactly what was, had gone on. But then we've now built a relationship with Cena. They know what we're doing and we um, are open and honest with them about how we're trying to bring foreign brands on. We've now managed that risk by building a relationship. You know, we're now not going to get booted off randomly because we hit some arbitrary limits. We are a partner with them. And right. so that's a great example of how Guanxi affects the current business I'm working on. So being proactive, being open, being honest, and letting letting the the people that are involved in the industry here know what you're doing, how you're going to do it, so that there's no surprises and nobody comes knocking on your door and telling you to, to get out. Yeah, yeah, it's about managing these risks. Are there any other you know problems uh, that you're experiencing? And you know, a lot of would-be entrepreneurs might be interested in knowing some of the obstacles to setting up here in, in Shanghai or in China in general. You know, my pet problem, and uh, my boss Andrew will laugh when I talk about this, is um, the internet. I would say um, there have been times when it has been the bane of my life, and it goes through phases. Sometimes on rainy days, it's terrible. Other times, um, just randomly, it just doesn't work. Something you're trying to connect to doesn't um, let you. Um, I've had servers attacked here. Um, I even had to visit a data center once and reconnect a server that had somehow become disconnected from the internet. So for a, for a web, for a tech business here in China, that's definitely one of your big challenges. And at KWO, it has affected our work to a massive extent. Mm -hmm. We've had to really think about how we change the technical architecture of our platform to allow connections across the planet. You know, if you think we're talking to Facebook, which is not available in China, but then we're publishing to Sina, which is in China, and so we have to have servers here, and we have to move this data between them. And we're talking about, um, in many cases, tens, if not hundreds of gigabytes of data um, that have to be both you know, pulled from the networks within China and then accessible to clients um, abroad when they're looking at their accounts. You know, these challenges are formidable right. and are a constant battle. Literally just became before I came to record today, I looked at some of the monitoring we have on our platform. I noticed that we'd seen a slowdown in some of the ways that we're exchanging data, and that's affecting our clients. Anytime somebody logs in, they're waiting now for an extra few tenths of a second sure. each time to request some data. Common expat complaint here in China for sure. And so it's it's not just it's not just like a you know day to day complaint, but it's actually you know affects, affecting the business. We, you know sure, we have yeah. to hire more engineers and um, build things it. in different ways, and you know and that affects features. Mm -hmm. It means we're not rolling out features that may bring us um, increased revenue because we are just working on behind the scenes fundamental architecture. Right now, would would that be a sufficient problem to to maybe consider or uh, setting up an office or even moving outside of China? I mean, do you have for KWO's business particularly, is it really important to be on the ground so you can have those relationships with the social media platforms you engage in here? I think for KWO particularly, it's essential we're here mm -hmm. um, on the ground. Um, thankfully, services like uh, Amazon's uh, cloud infrastructure have mm -hmm. allowed us to um, locate servers all over the place um, and very easily move them around as we see um, fluctuations in network connectivity. Um, so that's removed the need for a physical office at this stage. But I'm sure um, as we grow and as we sort of find, really find our feet, we'll, uh, there'll be a time when we will need a foreign office right. somewhere. Now, I have to ask because I know all the people that are listening to the show right now would want to know as well. Obviously, China gets a lot of uh, attention for the environment here, shall we say. Uh, we both know what we're talking about. Um, 
Has it affected your life? Uh, and if so, what's your take on it? Is it something that you actively try to mitigate against with any sort of practice or routine? Or is it just something that you accept as part of doing business and living here in China? Actually, I mean, it affects my life probably to a ridiculous extent. I'm an obsessive cyclist. And there are days when you go out and literally the air is just um, appalling. And it's it's one of the things I think I'm I'm most um, passionate about, sort of in my spare time these days, um, encouraging more people to be more aware of the environment and um, more responsible. I mean, one of the saddest facts I read recently was that uh, one in five cars in China was actually purchased in 2013. That's a ridiculous um, rate of growth in uh, car ownership. And is probably a sign that things are likely to get worse. Mm. That said, um, we have seen bad pollution in London um, as well. There was a few days recently when I said to my dad, I said, actually, you'll find that the UK is smoggier than <laughs> Shanghai today. That's obviously a rare case. And it's another good reason for not living in Beijing, living in Shanghai. Absolutely. Shanghai is marginally better. Mm -hmm. But yep, the environment is terrible. Um, there are some easy things that could be done to fix it, but a lot of it is about mentality. Mm -hmm. People are buying cars not because they need a car, but because they want a car, and that's just unsustainable. We have the most fantastic metro infrastructure possibly in the entire world. Mm -hmm. It's a very cyclable city. It's completely flat. This downtown is very small. You can get anywhere very quickly, mm -hmm. and um, people really should be more conscious, and that's about education. Right. It's about making sure... Um, People are thinking, making, thinking about these decisions. It is an issue that seems to be getting more press, and, and with the president having mentioned it, and now they're taking it on as a, as in one of their five-year plans. I mean, it's, it's an interesting convergence of two you know, really characteristic Chinese traits, especially right now in modern society. And the one is just ravenous consumption and interest in having that life which, you know, many were deprived of for so long and now it's available to them and wanting as you said those cars and all those other things that might contribute to a, a poor environment but also china's tendency to take on a problem and just grab it by the balls and and really implement some you know some interesting solutions i mean being on the ground here i mean back i'm from canada and back home in canada I don't see many uh, electronic scooters. I don't see many electronic buses, certainly. I mean, China's invested an enormous amount in, you know, green energy initiatives, the biggest in the world, in fact, on a, on a national basis. So it's interesting to see those two things kind of going head to head. And hopefully China will take that, you know, vigorous can-do attitude. And, you know, as New York, as London was, turn of the turn of the 20th century, um, you know, perhaps that's just what Shanghai is going through now, and we're we're on the cusp of having brighter days ahead. I think. I mean, I think it's something all of us can be a part of it, foreigners and uh, locals alike. Um, yeah, you're, you're right that um, we, things are improving. I just read recently that now 2.3 percent of the UK commutes by bike, which is a fantastic statistic, and certainly one of the highest um, in Europe. And actually, China has, has got worse on that front. Mm -hmm. um, well, coming from used to be the only mode of transportation for a lot of people. So it's, it's, it's one of the great things about air pollution is that it puts people um, face to face with the consequences of their actions, mm -hmm. which they don't see a lot. I mean, if you look at things like recycling, people don't really experience landfill or they don't. It doesn't have a direct impact on their life if they recycle or just throw it in That's the trash. Point, yeah. And so... Um, 
it's my hope that um, this air pollution and this consciousness does motivate people to take more responsible decisions. And I'd love to be a part of that as well. You know, at KWO, if we were able to power any brands that work on this or something like that, then they should definitely reach out to us. Um, It's it's part of our mission as a company to be um, socially responsible. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're not just here doing social media. We are... um, caring about our environment mm-hmm. and uh, want to help we got a um i forget the name we had we had a pro bono account on recently some guys that were doing some great stuff i'll think about it later and okay. email you so so for yourself just to wrap that up it's a case of trying to do what's within your power to minimize how you contribute to the to the problem here and maybe kind of educating informing the people in your direct circle about what can be done to reduce it but other than that just kind of dealing with it um, in terms of pollution, I think I'm I'm a little bit unique in that um, I think a lot of other people sort of let it bother them to quite a, quite an extent. I actually I, I I love doing the things I do so much that it's actually worse for me to not do them because of the pollution than just mm-hmm. to get out there and suffer the consequences. I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And so perhaps at some point, uh, thirty forty years down the line, I'm going to be dealing with the consequences right, of. Right my uh, irresponsibility i do wear a mask some days um but i i almost never don't go out yeah um no, it's, it's the same for me you know I, I on a daily basis it actually doesn't bother me at all you know i look out and it's cloudy or look out and it's sunny and it doesn't really change my perspective or my activity level the only you know I, the only pause i have for thought is you know what kind of damage is it doing so like you said 40 50 years down the road will it materialize in some something but I mean, we're all doomed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. to be honest, I don't have that long of an outlook anyway, so it doesn't matter. No, me neither. Going to do a lot of skiing when I get older. (laughs) So, a couple more questions, uh, Alex, then I'll let you get out of here. Um, One of the things I I, I just wanted to ask you, just in general, if you have time at all, what what books are you reading now or have you read recently that, uh, you know, that you find interesting what's on your night table what books do i read <clears throat> so i've not actually read um or listened to or any way of consumption you want to i listen to a lot of uh, podcasts mm-hmm. and um i read a huge amount on topics that interest me um mostly tech focused but a lot on the environment these days as well in terms of just podcasts which i enjoy in general life i'd say this american life is a fantastic one on startups, I really like uh, This Week in Startups from Jason Calacanis. Um, it's been uh, going for a long time, and some of the back episodes, particularly with people like uh, David Hennemeyer Hansen from 37 Signals, really great ones for entrepreneurs to listen to, sort of hearing these battling viewpoints between uh, bootstrapping and raising VC. Changing it up, what uh, you know, you've been here for seven years. You've been involved in the startup scene for quite a while. Two-sided question. What's the best piece of advice you've received vis-a-vis working and starting up in Shanghai? And uh, what's the best piece of advice you've uh, given? Or what piece of advice advice can you give to the listeners about uh, starting up here? I think uh, I often feel like I'm a bit of a slow learner on these things. And it takes me a while to realize things that are often obvious to other people. But I'd say the most important to any thing to anybody starting any business, um, and this applies sort of universally no matter where you are, is you've got to love what you're doing. Starting a company is, um, I, think, I think Elon Musk said, it's like chewing glass. You know, it's an incredibly painful um, process. 
And there are many days when you will be sat there in the office late at night or early in the morning and you're just, you just can't necessarily see the light at the end of the tunnel. And what you've got to have to keep you going through those days is um, a sense of purpose and a love for what you are doing. What you're doing, building that company has to matter to you so much that you're willing to go through the tough times mm -hmm. to uh, get to the other side and have a profitable business on your hands. And that's certainly the uh, the thing I've learned. Some of the things I did in the past that didn't work out was not because uh, they couldn't have worked out. It's because I didn't love it enough to see it through the tough times mm -hmm. that uh, it would have taken. And so certainly that's... Um, that's the one of the things that's top of my mind. Great advice. Do what you love. You've got to do what you love. Yeah. yeah. You've got to find something that's really important to fix, um, find a problem, look at big themes that are going to be here for the next 10 years. I think some uh, somebody, I forget who it was, said that some of the most um, um, the startup ideas with the biggest potential are some of the most obvious ones. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at things like um, building electric cars. We all know that at some point we need electric cars. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's such an obvious idea, sure. but it doesn't make it easy to fix. Absolutely. And, and what so, about advice you've received? My goodness. So much advice I've received. I think um, one of my favorite um, pieces of advice, I had a wonderful um, boss who I think of very fondly when I first um, worked in Shanghai. And he used to say... Um, let's drive the crap out of it. And he would always um, go twice as hard as he thought, as it looked like you needed to go in a situation. But actually often that ended up being um, just the right, um, right amount to, you know, to solve a problem. And we'd often have, in that business, we'd often have sort of crises of mm -hmm. things. We were shipping a lot of parcels and things would go missing or something like that. And he'd say, let's drive the crap out of it. Let's really, you know, do everything we can. Let's not just do one thing. Let's do all 10 of them. And uh, I'd say that's a fantastic attitude to have. I love it. Drive sort of unrelenting. Right. Unrelenting. No holds barred. Take no prisoners. Just go yeah. for it. So I'd say, nice. yeah, whatever you're doing, just drive, drive the, crap the crap out of it. Out of it. Cool. Well, Alex, that's it for us today. Thank you so much for coming on, being our guinea pig and our first guest. Yeah, it's a Shanghai real podcast. pleasure to be the inaugural guest. <laughs> Where can people uh, get in touch with either you or Kawo? Um, so you can go to kawo.com, K-A-W-O.com, um, or you can find me on Twitter, at Alex Duncan. And you can find Kawo on Twitter as well, at Kawo. Cool. And you can find us on Twitter for the moment. That is uh, the only place you'll be finding us, at Tech in Shanghai. We will be up on iTunes, uh, and a website will be coming soon. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Excellent. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Tech in Shanghai podcast. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Tech in Shanghai for everything tech from Shanghai and China. See you next time.